D2C hearing aids. I think that's actually going to be a big deal. And they were profitable? I mean, I'm just turning you on. Yeah, they were. Oh, <laughs> tell me like, more. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Are they Mormon? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> how, far, how far away from the coast did they live? Yeah. <laughs> Are they inland? <laughs> I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. All right, we're here. Steph Smith's here. Before we talk about Steph Smith and all our ideas, we have two things. Sean, you want to go yeah, first? Yeah, I got to come clean. I have a um, like a very late disclaimer I have to give. So a, a few episodes ago, maybe like four or five episodes ago, we had talked about a business idea that was like a children's play space. Basically, you go there and you like... yeah. It's just a place to play. You pay pay membership fee and you go play with all these cool toys inside. Anyways, I was like, oh, it turns out like interesting business. It's a franchise thing, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, my dick. And you, you, you just went there. You didn't know anything about it. I didn't it. even go there. Ben went there. My business partner went there and he was telling me about it. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, I was talking to the guy and here's their occupancy. Here's their, if that's true, then here's what they would be making. Well, <laughs> I went and looked at the website and uh, before and after. And basically, meetings like bookings to like inquire about a franchise got booked out for like four and a half months after the pod. And I just want to say, I have no idea if this is a good business or not. That was a estimate. That was a single experience. It was a, Hey, this, that's kind of cool, huh? That could make money. I do not endorse this. I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't say either way. And I really hope that a bunch of people didn't go buy franchises of this thing thinking that uh, that I was vouching for this. So I just had to say that because I saw all those meetings get booked and I got a little nervous. I was like, oh, wait, this is not a, uh, I can't co-sign this. I can't vouch for this either direction. And I just needed to say that up front. So please don't uh, mortgage the house and go buy a franchise of this thing. Did they reach out to you? No, they didn't. No. I don't think they knew what, oh, I don't man. think they knew what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that MFM effect. Well, and the second thing is, so we have like these sources wherever like, I'm about to talk about something health related or like, I don't know, in your case, in that example, the franchise related or real estate related. We have like three or four buddies who will like text and be like, hey, we're thinking about talking about this. What's your opinion on X, Y, and Z? And they'll kind of give us some insight. Uh, one of those guys, his name's Adam Bornstein. I met Adam because he was like, he basically ran a lot of Tim Ferriss's stuff. And one time he had this conference called 212. He invited me to go and they would rent out like the four seasons. And one time I checked into my room and it was so big, I called down to the front desk and I was like, hey, who do I share this room with? Is the <laughs> and it was a four thousand square foot four seasons penthouse, the presidential suite that had like a sixteen person dining table, a movie theater. And that's how I met Adam is he invited me to come to his event. And so I've always asked him for health stuff. Well, he just had a book come out. It's called You Can't Screw This Up. I'm trying to think of the best way to summarize it, but it's basically, so I have this thing written down. It's basically Ryan Holiday, James Clear, Tim Ferriss, like that style of writing and like that, like, I don't know, simple hacks, but that's kind of a bad word, but I don't mean it that way. But like these simple hacks on how you can create healthier diet habits. So the book is called You Can't Screw This Up. He also worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger and that's who got, uh, he got to write the foreword. So I just want to give a shout out to Adam. He's a friend of the pod. So I want to give him a shout out. But Steph Smith, what's good? Nice to see you. Good to be here. One of the all-time, all-time favorite guests. Uh, this is, I think, appearance number six. So if you love this one, go go listen to the other five that Steph's done. Steph is great because she brings 
a dossier. I can't even call it a document. It should be on googledossier.com because it is a 15-page document of trends, ideas, uh, small like you know observations that might you know half ideas that might become something, which makes you essentially the perfect MFM guest. Um, and you're you're also cool and fun to hang out with. So thank you for coming back. Yeah, good to be here. Every time I come on, I get way more nervous than any other appearance because you guys hype me up like that. <laughs> Sean, do you know how I met Steph? Uh, no, tell me the story. I will forever take credit for Steph Smith's career. It has nothing to do with how <laughs> no hard she works. No matter what I do. No matter how hard she works, no matter how smart she is, yeah. it's all of me. <laughs> I've, I, I, I'm a couple of, so basically she had this blog. It's still, is it stephsmith.io? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it was a really good blog and she had this headline and the headline was to be great, just be good consistently. Is that it, Steph? Basically. Uh, what was it? What is it exactly? Yeah, it's like how to be great, question mark. Just be great repeatedly. Be good repeatedly. Oh, yes, be good. And I was like, I DM'd her. I was like, Steph, this is the best headline I've ever read. This is a really good headline. Like, we're launching this thing called Trends. Do you want to join us? And she was like, yeah, maybe. And I was like, look, come work for us for a couple years. And I have a feeling you're going to like go and leave us. And that's totally cool. Come do like a tour of duty. Now, it's been about a year and a half, maybe a year since she's left. She's uh, at Andreessen Horowitz, one mm-hmm. of the uh, biggest VC firms in the world. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. How is that going? It's going great. Yeah, we just hired a producer, which is nice because for a while I was kind of hacking it together myself. But yeah, I feel like the podcast finally is taking off and we're trying a bunch of different formats. It's actually... Like, I feel like I'm easing into it. I'm finally having fun. Like, when I listen to My First Million, you can tell you guys talk about it's like the best job in the world. I'm finally easing into that, which is nice. What's it like working there? I mean, when I think about working there, I think of like uh, like the TV show Billions, you know, like it's just like fun <laughs> shit all the time. But is it just normal <laughs> company bullshit? I mean, it's just it, like, is it more normal of a job than I think? Or is it as spectacular as I would imagine? I mean, it's kind of both because day to day, it's totally normal. Because you're just doing your job. You're just doing work. Do you go into an office or are you remote? Um, I'm remote. They do have offices. I go in every so often just because I started working remotely a year into my career. And so for the last like eight years or so, I've never had an office. And so it's like a novelty for me. Right. Everyone else is sick, like, sick of the office. And I'm like, ooh, candy bars. You're like, oh, you um, just sit here all day? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave this box? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I'm like, ooh, a call booth. Well, like, how special? I think uh, the way Sam talks about like when his wife, Sarah, worked at Facebook. And he's like, and you know, p- when you work at a place, you just sort of get used to everything. And you kind of optimize for convenience. And so like, oh, the mm-hmm. all hands meeting's on. I can either go down to the cafeteria and listen to it or... Oh, they have like a streaming option because there's employees all around the world. And like, all right, whatever, I'll just stream it uh, from my desk. Yeah. yeah, that's easier. I'll eat my salad here. And Sam was like, no, you need to go sit front row <laughs> with a pen and pad. And when he says any questions, you need to like jump out of your chair and ask him a question every single week until he invites us over for dinner. Like that was basically Sam's like master plan. <laughs> until you're his best friend. I kind of yeah. think you should be doing the same thing. Like, what's the point of working at Andreessen Horowitz? 
unless you're just like at the office every day, just waiting for some like awesome Mark Andreessen moment to happen, or just like <laughs> you're there when he just yells at somebody and uh, it just goes off, or like you know they're doing a blood, you know, like the the twelve year olds come in to give them blood, and like you're like, yes, this is the weirdness I came here for. Is like. It's like every it's like every movie ever where there's like the big boss at the conference table and it's like, who what channel has put this together? And then the manager's like, Oh, one of my guys, bring your guy here. Yeah. Let me talk to that person. Or like and Mark Andreessen's gonna say, like, you know, who thought to do this? The number on this is blankety blank. And you say, actually, sir, it's six four seven three. What did you say? It's six four seven three because uh this it, come with me. Yeah, it's like who- <laughs> For six weeks, I've been leaving crumbs in the kitchen to see if anybody would clean it up. And finally, somebody did. So let's pull up the security footage. It was Steph Smith. You're promoted. You're at the top now. Right? These are the fanfic. This is what I think is going to happen if you... But you just got to be there. I can't believe you're not there every day. You should be... Every day the, in the office. That's the real upside of your job. It's not your salary. It's that you can go hang out with some of the smartest people in the world. But you got to do the hangout part, not the like just when we're on calls, then we I got to hover. Yeah, you got, you're right. I got to hover lurk. around the office. Just like you do on the internet. You got to lurk. <laughs> you got to be a just think about this. If you told like 21 <laughs> year old you that you would be in this position and you'd be like, would you just stay home and just kind of do your own thing? Or would you like go be there and hang out and lurk and like, you know, just be serendipitous about like what's going to happen. You know, the 21 year old, you would be like, Oh, I'm definitely going in. I'm going to meet these people. I'm going to see what's up. Uh, but I think yeah. it's easy later to be like casual about it. Yeah, I got to embrace. I feel like, Sam, if you were in the office, you'd, like go up to someone grabbing a snack and be like, hey, what's up? How's it going? Yeah. And I'm like so awkward. I'm like, oh, you need to be busy. romantic like- <laughs> comedy bumping into everybody and dropping all the papers that you're holding and then being like, let's clean this up together. Like, not even for the romance, just to like you create a little like intersection between you and, you and these people. Yeah. I, when I was at Twitch, when we got acquired, um, I literally, I even told people there openly. I was like, I'm not here to do my job. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to find whatever the most interesting things are happening here. And I'm just going to go be in those meetings and do that. Like, you're not going to be But that worked, right? Me. Like, And it worked amazingly. With, like, uh, You're friends with Emmett. Yeah, me and Emmett. You know, I, I got to, I was like, this is the most interesting guy in this building. So anytime it's like, you need to go talk to, you know, Jerry on the fourth floor. It's like, nah, I think I'm just going to hang out in Emmett's. I'm just going to stay in the meeting. Like, we do the meeting with Emmett. Everybody gets up and leaves. And I'm just going to stay there on my laptop. Next group walks in. I'm still there. I'm just going to hang out and see what happens. Like, no one's going to say anything. Or uh, I remember when Ninja got poached. So, like, the top streamer on Twitch got poached. And then there was, like, I know there's secret meetings happening about, like, what should we do? Should we, like, counter offer? Or what is this? It's like a code red moment. And there's all these, but I wasn't in those. So I just wrote up a plan and I sent it to, like, the three top executives. I was like, here's the plan for Ninja. I know I'm not even on the team, but then they were like, attend this meeting tonight at 8 p.m. And I was like, I'm in. I got into the cool shit by just like not doing my job. And uh, that's that's my recommendation to you. If you're going to be around these like 9,000 IQ people, that's the real upside of your job. Don't do your actual job. Do the job of hanging speaking out. Of, speaking of which, Steph, are they actually, do you think that the talent there, are they actually significantly smarter than any other uh, like pretty decent tech company? Um, I would say yes. I, I would wow, say okay. I've worked at, I mean, not that many companies, but... There's a direct shot at you, Sam. <laughs> He's just yeah. only I mean, really ever worked for you and marketing. No, I've worked, for, I've worked for a couple. Steph. I'd say like at least five, five companies where I've been a full-time employee. And I would say, yes. She's like, my, my previous job was a lot of checkers. And now I'm playing chess. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> what the fuck do those geniuses know about newsletters? Well, you, you had said something at the beginning of this. Uh, you were like, oh, I get nervous for this more than anything else. I'm curious. Do you feel nervous when you are in one of these like A16Z, like whatever meetings? Like, are you oh like, God. oh, these yeah. are these are like totally. the people I used to follow on Twitter and shit like that. And now I'm in this room. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's an element too where I don't represent the company running this podcast, but in a way the, the podcast is like an asset to the firm. And I'm like, they hired, I mean, I'm glad they did, but they hired a 29 year old who like candidly feels a little out of place amongst these people who have been, you know, like Mark Andreessen basically like invented the internet. Like he created the first <laughs> browser or the the wide scale browser. And so I'm like, I do feel sometimes a little out of place, but I feel like I'm a year in, I'm, I'm getting used to it. I think you should give yourself more credit. Uh, you're cooler than everybody I've met at A6 and C. So, you know, I think uh, I think they're lucky to have you as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to bring in one of those Nick Gray name tags that says cooler than you. Sean thinks I'm cooler yeah, than exactly. everyone here. Exactly. This is why I knew she was a good hire because I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, she doesn't she understand realize. how good she yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is a deal. I got him. <laughs> I'm like, got him. She doesn't know yet. <laughs> um, Seth, where do you want to go from here? Um, let's just start with the first idea. So this one I think is really interesting um, because right now, I think a lot of people listening know that there's this issue with commercial real estate, all these office buildings, you know, are up for sale or at least people are leaving and like the highest the level of, going down. Uh, uh, of like vacancy ever, basically, uh, especially exactly. in cities like San Francisco, where I think there's like 35% vacancy and going up as soon as people's leases roll off. As soon as they can get out of their lease, so they will. So it's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, it's a disaster. Exactly. So what is this thing? So uh, a lot of people think, okay, well then let's go change. Let's swap those, that commercial real estate for homes, apartments, et cetera. That makes sense. But I think there's this huge opportunity for fractional real estate. So click one of where it says, see here, click one of those and tell me what you see. All right, Sean, yeah. you want to go? I'm descri- uh, I'll describe it. So it lo- it's something called Temple Immersive. And it basically yes. looks like a yoga class of some kind. It's like dimly lit candles. It looks like a hot yoga class. But then on the roof is this like crazy visual where it looks like you're in the forest. And the whole thing just looks super cool. Where do you think this is? Like, what is this building? I mean, I have no idea. This looks, I mean, this looks like the lobby of an office building in a way. It's like huge. But they make it look like a temple. Yeah. So this is a club a night during club. The, the night, a nightclub. So, I mean, this is just one example, obviously, of where real estate is used from what? Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, That's it. from yeah. like 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. And then throughout the week, it's not used at all. And so the thing that I found fascinating, I went to this called Temple Immersive in San Francisco. And I talked to the woman, they just opened up. And I was like, how'd you find this? Like, did you reach out to a bunch of clubs? And they were like, no, the club reached out to us. Like, I guess it makes sense, but this club has just all this real estate that's being unused. And I was just thinking about what other, I guess, one, this could be applied elsewhere, right? Like in any city, someone can go contact a bunch of clubs, link them up with yoga studios, Pilates studios, et cetera. Um, But then I was also thinking, what else could this real estate be used for? Um, And another trend that's been taking off is rage rooms. Have you guys heard of rage rooms? No, but it's I like the sound you of that. smash it, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's one in SF as well. Um, but basically, Dude, people SF are angry. Itself is a They're losing room. their jobs. 
Yeah, is it, is it's it called like the rage room. It's called the Walgreens like Market Street. Market. Yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> the city yeah. is the rage room. Yeah. CVS is doing a rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct to consumer. D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> okay, what is this Rage Room shit? So... People will literally go and yeah, like Sean said, you just <laughs> smash it. So like they'll give you a bunch of plates. They'll give you like old electronics. They'll give you stuff. And I think depending on what you choose, you pay a different amount and you just get a session in this like empty room and you just get to smash stuff, which you just don't get to do in normal life. Um, and so I was thinking, I was like, you know, not just a yoga studio, but a lot of this real estate, like go convert like a club during the week to like a, a rage room. People Dude, we have, that. um, I always thought like these little things were, were, wouldn't be that interesting, but we have this member of Hampton and he's tweeting about it. His name's Raleigh Williams. I was just going to bring him um, up. Yep. Dude. So he, he, I think he's in Utah and he created, uh, it, it's like, I don't know. I thought escape room was like a brand, but I think it's also like the style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he created like a version of an escape room. And what did he do, Sean? He, so, sold, he sold it for about $30 million. So he created a business. He sold it for $26 million. And what he says is, basically, he's at a law firm, and he doesn't love his job. And he's like, okay, should I do something else? Like, what should I do? He reads an article that talks about the, uh, the how lucrative escape rooms were. This is back in 2015, when escape rooms were really like just sort of like the new trend. It was the new, new like Froyo, basically. So he, he looks it up. He finds out how much money these make. And he's like, okay. I think this is a good business, but I don't have enough money to go build it out. But in the true entrepreneurial spirit, he doesn't let the lack of resources stop him. He becomes resourceful. He's like, all right, can I build an escape room inside this like abandoned bus? So he goes by the, buys this uh, 1984 Bluebird bus and he converts the inside into an escape room. And now he's got an escape room on wheels. He could drive it up to companies' offices and do the corporate offsite right there. And so uh, it wasn't perfect in the sense that like if it was a hot day or a cold day, it kind of sucked to be inside of it. But other than that, it was like this like super efficient escape room allowed him to get real like cash flow going. I think he said like the bus itself was making like um, five or 10 grand a month of like you know free cash flow. And so he starts opening up more. And so he builds out his first real one. He opens... Um, you know, five, six more or whatever. Then he starts adding to the back of it. The, so there's like real estate. So he's getting the, the real estate with the escape room and he's getting more space and he created a trampoline park and an ax throwing thing. So basically just like this kind of like out of home entertainment is what we call like this category. And so he just bundles these together. And uh, over that period of like 2015 to 2020-ish, he's uh, built this thing up and then he starts selling them off. So he's selling off, uh, you know, in, in chunks of pieces, and he basically said that he made $26 million doing this. I think through a combination of the sale plus the distributions along the way. But I, I might be wrong. Maybe it's both. Uh, he said he had, uh, let's see, 
He spent 10 million building these out. And over the, over the years, there was about 20 million in distributions from, uh, that's from crazy. Spotify. So, you know, kind of an amazing outcome an amazing return for this guy. Yeah. These, yeah. I, I didn't think that these would be good. And then I like met him and I started learning about him. Like, He's a oh, nice that's... dude too. People should uh, go follow him on Twitter. How do you, how do you know him? Uh, I just know him through Twitter. I saw some of, uh, I, I, like I've been going back and forth with him a little bit and then, uh, he listens to the pod. So, you know, he had reached out at some point. Uh, Steph, talk about this pay transparency thing. This interests me a lot. Yeah. So in the last couple of years, there's been a bunch of laws that have changed across states. I think Colorado is maybe the most well-known where companies have to, depending on the state, um, disclose certain aspects of a job related to pay, right? So it might be a range that a specific job requires. Um, also things like even if you're in a job, you can request your band and you know why you're paid a certain amount and how you compare it to others across the company. Um, and so that's changing. It's still changing. It's like very much in flux. I think there's at least a dozen states that now um, require you to share uh, those pay ranges, for example. But this one girl, Hannah Williams, she's 26. Um, so super young, quit her job. Um, she's making like $115,000 a year. And then in the last year has just been doing the kind of man or in this case, woman on the street. And all she does is she goes up and she just asks people, hey, what do you do? How much do you make? Um, but her social accounts have blown up. So she has over a million followers on TikTok, again, in, in a year, um, 450,000 on Instagram. And she's on other channels as well. And so an article was written about her in January and she had already made $600,000 since her switch. And so I'm sure she's made way more now with the accounts being the size they are. Um, but this is one of the, the cases, we've talked about this before, when there's like regulation change, there's like a rule change, a line in the sand is drawn, and then that has implications. And this one's so far ranging, right? Because it, it impacts any job within these given states. So if you go to her profile, she's doing a really good job. So you go to her profile on TikTok and you click that link that says Stan. So check this out. So Here's how she's making money. So the top link is an Indeed link where it says, mm -hmm. get a job as a nurse. And so she's getting an affiliate thing. Then she has a market research guide, which is learn how you should do, learn how much you should be making. And I guess that's so she can collect emails. But then click attend, and, uh, attend LA and NYC workshops. So she partnered with Capital One to do local of like seminars at their banks, like because some of their banks have cafes. And then she also has, I think, I believe it's a subscription database where you can see individual salary data packed with contextual information. This woman's awesome. <laughs> this is how you do it. Also, shout this out to is Stan. How you do Me it. and Sam uh, invested in Stan. So good, good use of Stan here for the uh, putting a, a link in the bio that lets you lets you make a bunch of money. Um, yeah, this is cool. We've uh, we've talked about levels that FYI on the pod before, which is a mm -hmm. similar concept, which is like crowdsourcing salary info so you can if you're an engineer at facebook you can go find out am i getting paid what other l4 engineers get paid or should i be working at google and what would i get paid if i was over there um i think they're they're doing an awesome job of this when we had mentioned this on the pod somebody did this for doctors they were like uh we i think we had said you should somebody should do this for nurses and doctors and then they they were like hey we're med students and so they went and did this for doctors and created a database i think they got acquired by levels uh, actually, oh, really? after after hearing it on the pod uh, and then taking action on it, so definitely think that there's opportunity here. And I like uh, Sam. What do you call it? Regulatory inflections. Uh, Regulatory what's your big word? You like to use baby. inflections. 
<laughs> inflections is the I word, the inflections, which is anytime there's like a law change, there's, well, there's like multiple inflections. So there's like a tech inflection, which is like Uber exists because everyone now has an iPhone or, and you have GPS in your phone. Then there's like um, cultural inflections, which is like teens feel comfortable filming themselves. Uh, and then there's regulatory inflections, which is uh, this drug is now legal or this patent is about to expire or you now in Colorado have to disclose your salary ban, therefore it opens up new opportunities. So this is definitely- there's another one you have here that I was going to say the so you guys have talked about hearing aids on the pod before. So as of October, the FDA relaxed their rule, which basically meant hearing aids could be sold over the counter, which is and- bullshit that they're not sold <laughs> over the counter. It's fucking bullshit. Uh, like it's been bothering me so much that in glucose monitors, I'm amazed that they're not sold over the counter. I've been well, trying to get a hearing aid and they make me go to all these appointments and I miss them. It pisses oh, me really? off. Yes. Another fun fact around hearing aids, which I feel like is interrelated to the fact that they can, I, is it now or already that they can be sold yeah. over the counter or is it yeah. this coming October? No, no, they can. Okay, so it's, it, they already can. But um, apparently 99% of hearing aids um, or custom hearing aids uh, are 3D printed already. And so there's a few companies that basically own this market currently. But the reason I love this is because 3D printing is the epitome of like tech hype cycle, started in the 80s, then got way overhyped, wasn't ready, everyone thought it was dead. But it's like come back in these really niche places like hearing aids. Uh, we talked to people on Trends a while ago that were using 3D printing for like dental implants, yep. things like that. And so I feel like it's it's something that actually is like overlooked because people were like, oh, 3D printing is dead. Wait, what do you, Sean, you said, yep, as if you know, you know, people doing this for teeth. Yeah. One of my best friends, uh, one of my best friends from college, he's a, he's a surgeon and he's a ENT surgeon. So ear, nose, throat. And what he, um, I was like, while he was in med school. So this is like over the past, like, you know, eight years or whatever that he's been, the guy's just been at school forever. And, uh, I was like, how's it going? He's like, oh, you know, it's fine. But like, I'm having the most fun because now I run Duke's 3d printing, uh, facility. I'm like 3D printing, like just like for engineering, like you're making toys or what are you doing? He's like, no, like the medical 3D printing. And I was like, wait, I thought med, I thought 3D printing is like not even a thing for normal shit. You guys are already using it in medicine. He's like, dude, I I surgically implanted part of a, th- a skull that I 3D printed the other day. Like, uh, you know, we take your jaw shape and then we're able to like create like the perfect shape that we needed for uh, this implant, this uh, this the surgical process. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. And they're doing this with like, basically, it's interesting. Some technologies take forever to get into medicine because it's like the high stakes spot. And for some, medicine is the only justification for putting in the time and the money that it takes to get the technology to work. And I think that's kind of where where um, uh, 3D printing has, has gone, where it's like it started as like this hobbyist thing. But then the real commercialization so far has happened on the the medical side i think the same thing's happening kind of in vr people are trying to do the hobby thing for a long time but one of the better more commercial use cases of vr is you know doctor training flight uh you know uh, pilot training um things like you know uh, you know imagining instruction yeah exactly anything where you need to sort of visualize and and uh plan something it's worth the money to develop a, a really high quality vr simulation because it's cheaper than doing a real a real uh prototype of it Damn, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I, I didn't know you had the side of you. Sean. I got friends in. I got friends <laughs> in hospitals, as they say. <laughs> well, you're Indian, of course. <laughs> of course, you do. You're the odd man out, but you know, you're you're shilling Web three for years. Turns out you're a practical guy as well. 
<laughs> we put the blockchain in your brain, baby. Um, yeah. The, do the, uh, do this. Well, the I, I also, thing. for this hearing aid thing, I met oh, these guys that were doing 7 million a month in sales on their hearing aid brand that I had never heard of. And I was like, oh, huh. Maybe uh, this makes a lot of sense, actually. Like D2C hearing aids. I think that's actually going to be a big deal. Um, was it think bootstrapped? They, I don't know if they're fully bootstrapped, but like, yeah, they're not like venture act. It's like, but they made bootstrapped and then like their uncle gave them some money to keep scaling it. That's that seemed like that sort of vibe. And they were profitable. I mean, I'm just turning you on. Yeah, they were. Oh, <laughs> tell me like, more. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Are they Mormon? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> how far how far away from the coast did they live? Yeah. <laughs> Are they inland? <laughs> All right, let's uh let's keep going. Let's do the let's do this jobs of the future. I think this is a good one. Yeah. And I also love that you're branding this Steph's list. Well done. Way to wait to take I a page had out to, of our book. I had to. I love Sarah's list. Um <laughs> But yeah, this all comes from, I guess, two things. One, people think AI is taking all of our jobs. I personally don't fully agree with that. We don't need to dive into that. Well, what's but, the what's the official stance at A16Z right now? Is there like a... I don't want to speak for A16Z, but we're tech optimists. Money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do they just like, is there like a poster where it said like Web3 is future and they just like put an X over it? They just wrote AI. <laughs> <laughs> no comment, no comment. But what I'll say is we, even on this pod, have talked about different jobs um, that don't quite exist or maybe are starting to exist. I've talked about chief automation officers. Sean, you've talked about this idea of like a mental fitness coach. Um, and I guess this idea of Steph's list is partially, I want to share a few ideas today, but I also want to hear from the listeners, like, what are the jobs that you think are, as you know, some people might say a little more anti-fragile, but also that again, like don't quite exist yet or early, the types of things we would have talked well, about in trends. Start with the stat you have here. Cause I think the stat actually makes it clear that these aren't just like, like, oh, cute things on the fringe. It's like, no, this is the future. Yes. Yeah, so apparently 85% of employment growth in the last 80 years came from new jobs. So AKA, between 1940 and today, 85% of employment growth came from jobs that did not exist in 1940. But did they not exist because like AI didn't exist or did they not exist because it's by new com new businesses, like new like businesses the, the, that the, are being the created? The job title didn't exist is what you're saying. Yep. So even, you know, simple examples of this that I think anyone can recognize from even the last few decades, before 2008, 2009, the idea of a social media manager did not exist. The idea of a UX designer did not exist. And those are jobs that truly like, uh, what, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now do these jobs. And so there's going to be versions of this. I think it's a little more brain racking to figure out in the age of AI, because you can always ask like, oh, well, is this going to disappear in three years instead of 30? Um, but I think actually there, there's maybe like frameworks to think about this. So for example, I think drones are kind of hitting that, we talked about 3D printing, hitting that stage where a lot of consumers own drones, but a lot of companies are also starting to use drones. And so like what within that, that industry could exist? It could be like drone technicians. If there's a lot of drones, people are going to need to fix those right. drones. Is there like drone traffic control? There's aircraft traffic control. So why wouldn't there be, right? right? Safety inspector, um, charging installation, blah, blah, exactly. blah. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so my question for you guys is like, 
anything on your radar? Like, Well, let's what? start with the ones you talked about before. So you, you said it quickly, but I think it's worth repeating because you were on, I don't know, a year ago when you said it. So chief automation officer, when you said that, at that time, this was kind of like definitely pre-AI being like the thing that everybody's talking about. Um, yeah. What does a chief automation officer do and why did you think that was a cool job, uh, like a job of the future? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of companies will have a CTO. The CTO typically, though, is so wrapped up on like what's our infrastructure is, you know, cybersecurity. What's our, our um, how are we tackling that and how are we keeping our, you know, our company safe, our data safe? What they often aren't focused on, and maybe some people would argue this is the role of the COO, but is how do I actually take the technology that exists today, like AI, um, and enable every single person within my company to understand how to up-level their jobs, right? So like to become 3x more productive. Because most of those people, unfortunately, either aren't plugged into the technology, don't have the like excitement to actually implement it within their job, or honestly, it's just one of those, like, you don't know what you don't know. Kind Steph, of can I give you, let me give you a compliment. I remember that pod that we did where you talked about that. At Hampton, the first hire we made was an automation expert. Really? The very first hire. His name's Grant. All he does is automate stuff. <laughs> so he's basically uh, a Zapier plus Airtable expert. Yeah. And because one of our values early on was we want to grow to be big, but we don't want to have to hire loads of people. So let's right away start automating stuff. And it was because of that conversation. So the very first hire we made was an automation expert. That's so, awesome. And you know what? It is fucking awesome. And the, it is awesome. And the bottleneck is not typically like you have to create new things. It's that they're basically you're bridging a gap. You between, just need to duct tape a ton of there's stuff. There's a process we're doing that's kind of tedious, manual, repetitive, or uh, mm -hmm. low value add, but needs to be done. And then there's tools that could do that if you knew they existed and you knew how to pipe them together and stitch them together so that they actually work. And what this person mm -hmm. does, and the, like, I, I do this at our company almost by accident, which is uh, like for our e-commerce company, it's like I just discovered yesterday, there's somebody who just has to like spend hours a week just like square cropping photos so that they look better in Shopify from what the photographer gives them. And I was like, wait, you do this for how many pictures? And they're like, yeah, it sucks. And I was like, you know, there's this tool that will just bulk, you bulk upload and it'll do that. And then it'll put them, it'll pipe it to you here in Slack. And you can see it, you know, we'll use a different tool to pipe it into Slack and you'll see if there's one that's off. Cause you could just kind of skim this with your eyes and, and then you'll just be able to fix the one off. That's not good, but 98% of them will just be done. Well, the first time automatically by this one tool. And they're like, Oh shit. That's like, you know, thank you. That saves me a bunch of time. And now I could go do things that are actually going to drive a little more growth versus just like some bullshit that had to be done. And uh, how many of those are there? In every company, there's a ton of those. And, so and, and the problem yeah. the problem is, Sean, is even let's say that hypothetically you only have 10 people, even though that you've been 10 people for three years, just 10 people has created enough habit that even getting an automation person in now, it's going to be like, oh man, where do I start? So doing it with 10,000 people is like yeah. an impossible task. <laughs> That's why we were like, let's get this right away. Let's do this right away. Yeah, um, there should be know, like a like, ratio. Like for every 10 employees you have, you have one chief automate or not chief automation officer, but someone who knows how to automate. And you just pair them with teams and you they literally do user interviews. They sit down, they say, hey, let me shadow you for a day. Right. Let me just see what you do. And then from there, I bet anyone, myself included, who tries to automate what I can, they would just pick up so many things of like, 
why are you doing that at all? So I think like, you should just, also like, have that. this for um, team collaboration. Have you guys ever read this book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team? Yeah, yeah, by Patrick something. I don't even know who he's. It's a great book. Honest, I love that book. I, like, I think other people. It's like a narrative driven. Yeah, right? other people I think don't really like. It. It's kind of like fiction. It's a it's a business advice book, but it's written as a fictional story, which is cool because yeah. that's not usually how those are written. And it's basically describes like there's a company, you know, whatever Acme Inc. And they go to this like team offsite and they're trying to figure something out. And then you have these like four personalities or five personalities or whatever, and um. And it shows the like different ways that a team can be dysfunctional. And once I worked in a bigger, like, you know, I've worked in kind of like two person teams. That's what I'm in now. Uh, well, I, I think the takeaway of the, or the, what the, you forgot this part where he says the point, the, the reason the book's called that is uh, successful teams all look different, but every dysfunctional company looks, looks the, the same. same. Yeah. And, and here's the five things that they all have. In exactly. Common. And you kind of identify them, but he, he identifies it. And, and the way the book's written is kind of cool. I think it's sort of like, it's it's here's a situation that you have two people who both have kind of like valid perspectives or one person doesn't realize that the thing that they're saying is causing the other people to feel a certain way and causing all these like second order effects. Um, anyways, it's a good book for like management, I guess. But what I, the, I guess my real takeaway is like, I've been in a bunch of companies where they do these, like it's like shit builds up and then they're like, we need an executive coach. We need a team offsite. We need to like break down all this scar tissue that's being built and like, dysfunction that's in the team and resentment that's in the team and what all these things that are not allowing us to perform at our best. I actually think that companies should embed this in the company. So I think there should be somebody that floats around. That's basically like the, the chicken billions. Who's like the, the team psychologist or whatever. It's sort of like that, but instead of one-on-one. What's her name? Therapy, I love that lady. Yeah. I stopped watching the show after season one. So I, I, I forgot, but uh, she's awesome. She's Wendy, Wendy Rhodes. Yeah. So basically, instead of that, it's somebody who just sits in meetings and takes notes. And every week they just deliver like, Sam, do you know that you do this and you say this and that that's making these, did you, did you notice that that makes these people feel this way? And it, and ha- then when they walk out of the room, you know, they're not going to go do the thing you want in the way you want because of the way you said it, or this person just didn't have that information and they were put on the spot. Maybe you should put in a process that gets the information on a dashboard that everybody sees beforehand or whatever, right? Like somebody that identifies dysfunction, because let's say for every 10 people you hire, if you can make that team 10% more efficient, you've basically created one extra employee without that payroll. And so I think that the numbers would, the ROI would be there if you had this, but I'm surprised this doesn't exist. So I think that's a kind of a job in the, of the future is basically like a collaboration expert. So somebody that like is, a, is like a uh, internal, um, you know, compass, team compass to figure out like, you know, how, uh, where are hey, the you like that spots? word doula? You got to use that word doula here. <laughs> yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll just keep using doula as a guy uh, <laughs> and pissing everybody off. Sam, what do you think? Any jobs that stand out to you? What are you guys hiring for? Um, I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> but nothing that like uh, some of the ones that are like bullshit that you see out there. And then I see their titles and I'm like, oh, you don't you're not actually good at that is community manager. So like community mm-hmm. manager is like a title that I actually don't think most people know how to make community. So that's kind of like a nonsense one. Uh, we, um, we Here's one from the podcast that we've talked about. Like uh, we have like a podcast producer. Uh, ben Wilson yes. right now and we yeah. have uh, you know people will have like social media manager they have like all these different functions but what I told the team I was like I think we just need like a band manager it's basically like yeah 
if, if podcasts are as they get more successful, they're kind of like a band. You have the talent, they're the face, they get on stage, they perform, and then there's all this shit that, that that needs to be done. Like whether it's like we're going on tour, we want to sell merch, we want to um like develop this cult following of fans that just love us because we just do dope shit that like is fan service, fan love. Then you have the recording stuff that's got to get done, and you kind of just need somebody who's like a hybrid of a business manager or an agent, as well as like somebody who's kind of got the community building skills of a community manager. Mm-hmm. And that's what a, a band manager is for bands. And I think that you're going to see this more for, uh, for podcasts and YouTubers is like, a is, is a role that's sort of like the, the band manager, like the Nelk boys and whatever they have that it's like, but most others don't have it underneath them. Totally. Oh, yeah, for sure. What are the, what are the, what's the, what are the lists that you have here? Head of remote and then cyber actuary. What are those? So head of remote is kind of similar to the thing that you mentioned, Sean, but it's like there's so much dysfunction at companies, especially the ones that transition from being non-remote to remote. Totally. Just copy and pasted a bunch of things from the office. And they don't actually know how to build a remote organization from the ground up, how to do things asynchronously. And so it's kind of crazy when you think about how macro a shift that is for like, you know, thousands of people to be doing things all one way, (laughs) switching to a totally new way. And to have no like expertise from someone to actually guide that. Um, so that's the idea of head of remote. Like a, and some companies already have this, like a, right? A re- GitLab. A remote work officer, RWO, what would they do? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, people, like I know in our company, it's like, well, first they have to, it's kind of like IT. There's like, well, they need to have like a good home setup. Sam, you talked about this. Like we need to not look like dog shit on camera, with, whether <laughs> internally or with our yeah. clients and our customers. So like, how do we make sure everybody's got like a good Zoom setup? Okay, secondly, yeah. like, how do we create some best practices around remote working and and how to like, you know, do stuff that's different now that we're not all in the office and can just like look each other and talk to each other real quick? And uh, how do we set boundaries for different time zones? How do we plan meeting? You know, like all of that, I think, is is definitely in, in location-based the- pay. I mean, isn't this crazy? Like to your um, idea with Hampton, Sam, of the nice background, the same companies that had these really strict clothing rules, like you have to show up in a suit and you have to look this way are letting people sit with their MacBook under their chin with like <laughs> a dirty it. ass background behind them showing up to their business meetings, trying to win a client. And it's like, where's your digital suit? You know, like right. they don't care. They don't even think about that because it's so outside of their field of view. Um, but that's just one example. And I but think do you guys do that at A16Z. Cause like when I imagine A16, I'm like, that's a khaki pants. That, that's a khaki pants type of place. Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't think we have a, a clothing code, but we do Dude, have. Like Lululemon's ABC pants is like the official pants of Man. Uh, yeah. Here, here's something that A16Z does do that I never like put together as related to this, but like their design team will create every quarter these beautiful Zoom backgrounds. That the, the company uses and they actually look good. You know, I feel like a lot of Zoom backgrounds are like the company's logo kind of awkwardly like photoshopped in the background and like just bouncing like looks around terrible. in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they again they refresh them every quarter. Everyone has access to them, so there's at least that visual consistency. Um, but I don't know if we have a clothing code. But uh, I hope a- some of your bosses and employees listen to this, and I just want them to hear me say this. It is me and Sean making fun of you guys, not Steph. Just why? <laughs> yeah, just why? With a threat there. That was awesome. You're like, <laughs> it's like on TV where like, put the camera on me, put the like, camera on me, up. Put, put, put A on me, and then you look down the barrel and you d- d- deliver some like wrestling promo. That's what I thought you were about to do, but no, you were but trying to cover. Sam's version is like, look at me, and he's like, 
You're great. Yeah. You're <laughs> <so> great. <laughs> no one believes in you more than me. <laughs> well, I, 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 I had a friend that lived in China and uh, I used to like text him all the time and I'd be like, dude, your government sucks. What's going on with that? And then I would reply with, by the way, whoever's reading this, it is me saying this, <laughs> not him. <laughs> yeah, don't disappear, my friend. Uh, I'm glad they invest in the cool Zoom backgrounds and stuff. You know, they got the, uh, I think, what, like 700 million in management fees. They, those management fees got to go somewhere. So, so I'm glad they're putting them to good use. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just to summarize on the head of remote thing, think about I think maybe the easiest way to think about it is there's all these macro tech trends, right? Like remote work, AI, automation, cybersecurity, right? Like the idea of a like a chief security officer didn't exist like 10 years ago, right? Because that just became such an important um, I guess, concept within especially tech firms. What's and this, so and what's this food engineer one? Well, I wanted to ask you guys about this because Yeah, we never talked about this. Canna, do you guys remember that? Yeah, I was so yeah. hyped about canceled. it. I know, but I still think the concept of like a food engineer will exist. I think this one's a little further out. So give the story, Sean. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people know David Friedberg now because he's on the All In Pod, so he, he kind of got uh, a lot more more popular or famous. But uh, this awesome guy used to work at Google, created this thing called the Production Board, which is his like kind of incubator, startup studio, whatever. And they build things that are kind of like hard tech. So it's like... Uh, in, things that interface with the real world, they have like hardware, they're making food or making, you know, biological, you know, substances or whatever. Like they're, they're creating real world things. And uh, he had this company called Canna that he created that was basically like the Coke freestyle machine in your kitchen. So you would have this device, this Nespresso machine that sits on your countertop that can make like a thousand different drinks exactly to your specification using basically like the equivalent of a printer cartridge. So it's like, you put in this cartridge that's got all these like micro flavors and then you hook it up to your water supply and it's like, it just takes water. It makes it cold, hot, or bubbly. And then it pipes in the exact dose of flavor to create whatever drink you wanted. You want tea? Here, you can make hot tea. You want uh, sparkling water that's fl like flavored like, you know, blackberry? Boom, done. And so it was this awesome idea because it, it will also be good for the sort of like the, the world in a way because a lot of the supply chain is basically spent bottling water or soda, putting it in cans, putting it on shelves, putting cardboard around it, transporting it to the store, transporting it to your house, then transporting the, the trash to the dump. I was like, dude, what if we just took the water supply everybody already has to their home and we let you make whatever drink you want? Very cool idea. Um, and then out of nowhere, it just suddenly got canceled and they were like, Unfortunately, to scale up, we needed a lot of money, and uh, you know, in this funding environment, we couldn't do it. That's a bullshit excuse. Who can't raise? I mean, I mean, they've got like the top tech podcast <laughs> yeah. in the world. Um, yeah, they also maybe an interesting way of framing that idea was also it was it came from the idea that they had done research and they had realized that basically every drink out there, whether it was tea, whether it was wine, whether it was beer, ninety five percent water, like not just 95% water, but even the chemicals that go into it. I don't remember the number, but it was something like, there's only th like 30 or so flavors that you yeah. need to basically generate every taste. Um, but yeah, I don't know, maybe something for Yeah, we should get him out. on or I'm going to tweet at him. I, I want to know what, what really, like not what really happened, like there's a scandal, but like, tell me more because clearly he could sneeze and raise $30 million for an idea. So like, I'm surprised if it wasn't like, it must have been that, and his sneeze, his sneeze will be lovely flavors too. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like 
he must not have believed, meaning like the team must have realized it's not feasible or something like that. Or they must have proven that the thing is not feasible or not economic in some way for them to not be able to raise money. Because just on the concept, I feel like they could have raised more money. Um, mm-hmm. So so I think, you know, that's a, that's an interesting one. What, what went wrong? But he said that he was going to send us one. And then like his assistant or someone at the company was talking to us and they just quit re- replying. No, no, not send us one. They were like, we want you guys. Basically, their idea was like, if you could make any drink flavor on the spot, okay, then what happens to drink brands? And his idea was like drink brands become software. So they just become brands. Oh, so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would create a drink flavor, you know, uh, Sam's, you know, uh, almighty root beer or whatever. And it would just be like a specific dosage of flavors and that somebody could just buy it for a dollar on their own can of machine and it would just like dispense the drink and we would make money for every one of those like flavor sold yeah. basically every, every one of those drinks sold um that was the the kind of the concept so they wanted us to make one and they were like come down to our facilities we never got around to doing it and now it's gone did you guys see the freestyle machine for condiments yes i did see this dude sign me up yeah. sign me up dude this stuff is it's have you been to like hot pot in asia where they have the sauce bars no, no tell what's us. that it's well if you go to hot pot in taiwan like they're literally there will be hot pot's like a like a style of food or like a yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's like, so basically you get a big pot of hot water. Um, they give you broth of a certain sort. And then you basically go shopping on this wall and you you pick, oh, I want some like some noodles. I want some like beef, whatever. And you pick it out and then you basically cook your own soup. But as part of that, they have rice and other things. And they, ha- they typically have this huge sauce bar of like maybe like 20 to 30 different things like, like garlic or ginger, soy sauce, like ponzu sauce, whatever. And you make your own sauce. And so when I saw this coming, I was like, this is genius because like this exists in Asia, but only in these like hot pot locations. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of love this. I, I really do want the future of food to be a lot more interesting. I think I think it's going to be. You have so in your jobs thing, you got food engineer. I got that one. Um, cyber actuary. What does that one mean? Have you, have you explained that one? Yeah. So basically, I mean, a lot of people, even if we relate this back to AI, are worried that like you know, there's just going to be a lot more cyber, quote unquote, crime, right? People like replicating your voice, like getting your bank details. And I think this idea of being a cyber actuary is basically actuaries assess risk for anything, right? Um, How risky is it for us to deploy, you know, this celebrity's voice in this way? How risky is it for us to, um, I don't know, like open source our new LLM? Like there's going to be all these implications of things, um, I guess, be, becoming a lot more online if they aren't already. Right. And so this idea of a cyber actuary is like, there's already a ton of actuaries that figure out how much insurance should cost in you know the typical world, like if you buy a flight. And I think there's just like this huge white space around um, risk that people have not calculated yet. Did I tell you guys about Eden Data? No. No. So I met him because he's joined Hampton. His name's Taylor. And he, I don't know if he was playing up to my ego, Steph, but he told me he created this because of an article that one of us wrote on trends. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not. But he launched this thing called Eden Data. And uh, in just two years, it's now doing like six or seven million dollars in revenue. And basically what they do is if you are a small-ish startup, so like 50 to 100 people, you have to have a certain type of compliance in order to sell software to enterprise companies. And so the service that he provides is, and this is like an oversimplification, but there's basically like a 50 to 100 point checklist of all the things that you need to do. 
And a lot of these startups, they can't afford a full-time chief security officer. And so instead, they pay Eden Data eight to or seven or eight or ten thousand dollars a month. And he's got a team of outsourced people overseas who goes through your website and goes through your entire like the checklist and make sure that all 50 or 100 things are done and they have like templates to do it. And then they stay on top of it and they monitor it in case any changes have to happen. So now you when you go and pitch like this enterprise company to sell your software, and even though you're a small startup, you've already done all the stuff that needs to get done. And in I think it's I think he's only two years in, I think he's gonna do 8 million in revenue this year. Um, and it's like a service that's it's subscriptions. It's like a subscription consultancy almost. And he's killing it. It's a crazy company with huge margins. Damn. I have it pulled up. Your digital security sidekick. Yeah. When I see companies like this, I think like we're, I'm in the wrong industry. we talking to somebody that was doing this or wanted to do this for rich people? It was like just an overall security audit for rich people. And uh, yeah. like everything, like your house security, your bank accounts security, your crypto security, like just somebody who's going to come in and try to uh, like just poke holes in your stuff. And at a certain dollar amount of net worth, like it definitely makes sense. And you're not the expert and you have more to lose than you have, you know, than, than the cost of the service. Like you have a lot more to lose. It's like asymmetric downside, basically. And uh, I think that kind of, I've reached that out that to tons sense. of people. I've reached out to tons of people doing it. And the problem that I saw is that a lot of them, for some, like they're all like ex military yeah. guys too. Uh, and so like, I remember I was talking to Pomp. I was like, Pomp, uh, after the show, I was like, what do you do for security? Like, can you walk me through it? He goes, oh, I got this guy named Chad. We do this, this, and this. And then I talked to Chad and it, it's a little bit mom and pop. Yeah. There, it's not like, just like, I could just log in and you could just tell me what to do or it can just get done. You know, there's no like plaid or whatever that other software where you like, you just log in with your bank accounts and it just does what you need to do. It was very much a manual process and it was like 15 grand and like this person's going to do this. And so I do actually agree with you. I think there's a start. I do think this is like a um, fragmented, that's a, it's a fragmented service. And I think that one great company can, can, right. can do all this, all the stuff you need to Let's do. Let's hit some of these other random trends you have. Um, uh, don't mention the one I wrote. Don't mention because I got something in that space. So don't, don't mention that one. But, uh, do uh, do some of these other ones. Let's start with uh, mouth tape. Yeah, so mouth tape. I first heard about this like six months ago because some guy on Twitter was like, I tape my mouth shut every yeah. night for the last six the months and it's the best guy? thing I've ever done. <laughs> the hot, dude, the hostage tape guy will not so stop aggressive. DMing He's me. so aggressive with it. Uh, he- we have this guy who's got a company he called Hostage Tape and it's just tape for your mouth and he told me he's going to launch it and I'm like, this is dumb. And then six months later, he's like, Five hundred thousand dollars in sales. Yeah, I'm like, great. And then he's like, a year later, two million dollars in sales, and he's well, like, just rubbing it into my face. I don't think he's an official sponsor, but Andrew Huberman has been talking about it, and we, uh, in my household, we like to call him Father Drew as a joke. But if <laughs> Father, Father Drew, Drew promotes something in this day and age, yeah, he's like people the will buy it. Bro, Oprah, in a way where, like, if he says, uh, "Bro, science, Oprah," if he says it's good, he's gonna, you're just gonna get a huge spike. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, I mean, these are just like, I don't know where this goes. I don't know what opportunity there is uh, other than going and selling some mouth tape, maybe rebranding it. But that's one trend. This guy's company's called Hostage Tape. And like I saw, I was like, oh, this is the worst, this is the worst <laughs> thing ever. Like, this is awful. What do you do? But he's proving us Dude, wrong. That was your uh, uh, weight loss idea. Remember, wasn't it called Hostage? Yeah, a hostage SF, where I kidnap you and just, <laughs> just don't feed you for four weeks. Um, you, you should partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's crazy. So whatever, kudos to him. 
Yeah, but um, I guess we didn't even mention, do you guys understand what's good about mouth tape? Like, well, It makes you breathe through your nose, and breathing through your nose is better for you than uh, breathing through your mouth. Okay. Speaking of health benefits, another um, trend that I would love to see take off, because then I would have called it, um, is lupini beans. So people like health. Haven't you been talking about this bean forever? <laughs> <laughs> for the last year. I just I went into a what I don't know all the American grocery is this stores like, like Ralph's or something. The high protein bean. Yeah, so it's got Dude, you've been talking about this to me forever. <laughs> you keep telling me about this bean. I've been out with you a bunch of times. 50% you always percent this- <laughs> more protein than chickpeas, 2% or two times more fiber than edamame, 80% fewer calories than almonds, 60% fewer carbs than pistachios. 35 grams per serving. Obviously, they cherry-picked this data and compared to like the the best option <laughs> um, for them. But these beans, I think they're like originally from Italy or they're popular there. Um, but I just have seen this over and over and over as someone who traveled a lot where like edamame, edamame was not popular in North America 20, 30 years ago. Like no one knew what it was, right? It came from Asia. And so now when you go to restaurants, it's like a very Fear common sharks. thing. How would you like to invest... <laughs> In the next edamame. <laughs> 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 Sam, do you remember when Bobby at, at HustleCon um, would go around pitching people as yeah. a joke? And he's like, his pitch Dear was sharks. tuna water. <laughs> Tun- no, I thought it was hot dog water. <laughs> it was tuna water. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the uh, have you guys had chickpea pasta? Of course. I don't like it. It makes you fart like crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you, it just, you, it'll give you the number three. Yeah. Seven, like it, 40% it, as many calories as almonds, but 70% more gas. It's like, that's the lupini beans, yeah. uh, you know, pitch. Um, okay, so you've been All calling right. this for a little while. I see. I mean, this seems like a good, like, D2C product idea, to be honest. Um, There's like one company doing it. Um, this one, Bram or I've, whatever? Yeah, Brahmi. They also do, I think, the chickpea pasta. Um, but I just think, Maybe there's something in the supply chain or like how hard it is to, you know, procure this stuff. But no. to me, they're they're pretty cheap. They taste really good. You and eat them plain? Well, they, at least this company will do flavored versions. So they'll do like rosemary garlic or. Does it you give know. you gas? I don't think so. You can I didn't admit, do an A-B test. Uh, so you can, well, you can admit. Did it, uh, <laughs> I don't think it did. <laughs> it's a safe space. Seems <laughs> <laughs> like you can say it. Sam farts every episode. This is a great, this is a great, great idea. Uh, okay. All I, right. I'm going to buy some of this I like stuff. this idea. Yeah. I'm going to try these out and see, uh, see how I feel about it. Um, by the way, th- this is the type of product that when we say on MFM, there's going to be 13 people that start this for six weeks. And then yep. nobody six months later will be doing it for whatever reason. <laughs> it's like, and the same people that tell us they're going to come back in eight weeks and they're going to say, Actually, what do you think about this idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like if, if my DM history has four different ideas from you that you were pitching me for investment, like it, it, it's probably not going to work Sorry, out. Sorry, it's that a point. no forever. <laughs> yeah, it's a, exactly. You got the forever, it's a forever no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on that line. This is a no forever. <laughs> um, let's do. Can we do one more around these advent calendars? Because I feel like that's another case where like. I I don't know. Someone in the community is going to jump on. Sean, this. do you even know what Advent no, is? No, is this some like Catholic shit? What is this? <laughs> oh yeah, this is uh, this is as Catholic as as Catholic can okay, get. So, so what every, is it? Is Advent Advent's in December? So yes. Uh, so we uh, Catholics. I'm Catholic. Are you Catholic, Steph? No. Oh, 
Heathen. Sorry. So the, the, uh, <laughs> the Catholics. <Gross>. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not one of us, but it's okay. Uh, the We have Lent, which is like 40 days. And that was when like Jesus like walked around in the desert. And you're not supposed to eat meat and shit like that. And then we have Advent, which is the 30 days leading up to Christmas. And oftentimes there's an Advent calendar where it tells a story about like what Mary and Joseph, Jesus's parents, like what they did, like with the donkey and the mule and how they got like all these gifts from people, whatever. It tells that story. And each day you open up the calendar. It's like the kid's favorite thing. There's a piece of chocolate in the calendar. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the advent calendars. Like at, at some point it was a religious thing. Then capitalism got involved. And then, you know, every day kids are opening a little chocolate. I swear my I whole like life, the most I thought the advent one. calendar was those little calendars that are like you peel it. And there's like, you peel the calendar for each day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there's walking like around thinking that's what an advent calendar is for, <laughs> for, for a, lot, a long time. My whole life, I would say. This one, you like peel so back. It's like, always chocolate inside. That's the idea. Usually. That's that the one was, you get at like Target or whatever. And yeah, it's like a couple dollars. But it's like the most simple, you know, you, you buy it for your kids. Or, so what's your idea here, Seth? Yeah. The better advent calendar is my idea. <laughs> beautifully done. Just a beautifully done advent calendar. Five minute abs. Yeah. <laughs> no, so this comes from, I got to give this guy Namazaki Paul. Um, yeah, he, he, he didn't sound like a Catholic. No, 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 no. So this is it. I don't think this has to do with religion, but I actually got this for Cal um, this past year because here's the thing. Advent calendars... Yeah, I, I guess it was tied to religion, but they happen around the holidays. And so people are scrambling to figure out last minute, like, what should I get my family as a gift that's kind of thoughtful but fun? And a lot of people get advent calendars, but they get these like shitty versions that are like, you know, expired milk chocolate from the year before. What Paul did is he created this sake calendar. And so if you click... Um, that's the best way to celebrate Jesus' birth, too. <laughs> he... Uh, he created this sake calendar where basically every day for the month of December, or you can use it after, you open your little advent calendar, but it's not little. It's like it's like the size of a printer kind of thing. Um, and you get this like special sake that he has handpicked from Japan. This is partially like his job, his existing business. Um, and he sells them for 300 bucks. And every year he sells 500 of them, which he caps. And you do the math, that's like $150,000 just from that one, one drop that's for him. Crazy. And he doesn't get that much traffic. Like if you look at his existing site, it's like 2,000 visits per month. So not something he would typically be able to make much money from. Um, but that's one example that just got me thinking, especially since we're like, what, six months ahead of Christmas? What advent calendars is the My First Million community, what are you going to make <laughs> that is way cooler than the expired milk chocolate I mean, I've seen some stuff like hot sauce calendars, Lego calendars, um, but it's got to be something that like someone can open either for 12 days because some people do the 12 days of Christmas or all of December. I This is actually cool. Yeah, I actually think this is a, this is really this is really cute and cool and awesome. Um, you have a picture of this person who has a binder full of condiments, like individual oh, ketchup yeah. packets. And I see your vision here. <laughs> this is actually cool. <laughs> I see. I, I smell what you're stepping in. And I think it's awesome. Well, this. So the tweet you're talking about, Sam. <laughs> what is that phrase? <laughs> is this girl, Nicole, Nicole, who says her tweet just says, organize my sauces. And it's like, do you guys remember, you know, if you collected 
like playing cards back in the day or or um coins they had those binders like with the cards. little yeah, yeah with the little i don't even know what they're called but this tweet got 468,000 likes um i think it's probably one of the most popular tweets of all time and it's just her organizing her sauces from around the world so these are not for use <laughs> this is just like collections that one is for a collection. I feel like the advent calendar, you, it would be for use. Yeah. Wow. This is crazy. What I like about you, Steph, is like you find things that I would just scroll by, but you're pretty good at finding interesting things and applying them and like connecting to like five other things. Yeah. When I you scroll I mean? past something and I think this is stupid. You write that thing down and make it sound smart. <laughs> it's amazing. I waste my time curating an Evernote that is just full of random internet shit. But but what you do something that's different is you actually remember it. So I like bookmark so much stuff and then I just like forget all about it. You actually remember it and then you like it's just the difference between like good and great in terms of like whatever the skill set is that we have you like actually are organized that the, you know, what makes someone good versus great is like being organized. You are very, very, very organized with this stuff. And that actually helps your like thought process. I would think when are you, um, dude, when are you just going to bail and start creating some of this stuff? I feel like you started this train, Sam. So <laughs> before I joined the hustle, I was working at a company and in my last year at that company, I said, and I must've been what 24 or something 20. Yeah. Around that. I was like, next, this is the last job I'll have, right? Like after this, I'll go and do my own thing. But then ever since then, I just kept keep getting offered really cool stuff that I'm like, oh, I get to- More money. Well, I get to be paid to like go research trends and go down these internet rabbit holes that I'd be doing anyway. Okay, great. Oh, we got acquired. Now I'm at HubSpot and I get to build this like cool creator program. Okay, great. And Uh more money. Now I'm at A16Z. I get to talk to interesting people. And like, more money. <laughs> I got to meet this interesting person with more money in my pocket. It was amazing. <laughs> Great yeah. yeah. You're, you're learning this. Steph's just sitting there. She's like, how can I get the things that are in their bank account <laughs> to my bank account? My daughter does this thing That's- where she, she's three years old and she says this thing where she goes, this is my best day ever. Like, and I'm like, she might actually be telling the truth. This might have been like the best day ever for her. Like, this is the one. And that that's so how I feel Steph is whenever she gets uh, a raise at ACCC. This is my best day ever, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like, Steph, you and I were talking about like how much money like you've had. Like, you're like, we were going through an exercise of like, at 20, we had this. At 23, yeah. you've had a nice run. You've had a very nice run. A very, very nice run compared to where I came from. So, yeah. Like you were saying earlier, Sean, if like 21-year-old me would have said, yeah. like, this is where you'll be. This is how much you'll make. These are like the opportunities you'll have. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Are you, are you even 30? No. Oh, my God. What would, uh, what would 21-year-old you say? Like, what would the reaction be? Well, it's funny because I, w- I feel like I still have, like, throughout my whole life, because I didn't grow up very wealthy, a very, like, money orientation. Not that I need that much, but just, like, oh, my gosh, like, you have that much money? Like, go buy a car. Like, go buy nice clothes. Go, you know, go, like, use the money that you've always wanted but never had. But it's funny because now that I have more money, I'm still, like, just as cheap as I ever was. So <laughs> I don't know if that stuff ever leaves you. The- Sean, do you know that Steph's uh, half Thai? Are you Taiwanese? Ty- my, my mom's from Taiwan. Yeah. Do you know that? 
<laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> there was, Is that supposed uh, to be super special uh, or what? Why are you telling me this? Uh, at our old company, when someone found that out, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I, and then there was like people like, Steph, why are you lying to us? You're Canadian. I've had some, well, Canadian's not. <laughs> I know. That was the joke. They're like, quit lying. Yeah. Why well, are you no, lying about being Taiwanese? Jordan was like, there, so there's a huge spectrum. I don't know why, like what it is about the way I look, but some people, when they hear that I'm half Asian are like, oh yeah, of course. Like I, I knew that. And then other people are truly shocked. Um, Jordan was one of those. And he went to Sam, or no, he asked me and he was like, does Sam know this? <laughs> <laughs> your secret's safe. Uh, yeah, that, that tells you more about them than about your, the way you look. Uh, it's just like, what, what is their level of exposure to different races <laughs> yeah. versus anything to do with you? Um, yeah. Yeah. By the way, this uh, you're, this thing about being cheap, I read. Uh, I was reading the story yesterday about this guy who um, made a bunch of money. And uh, they're like, what was your first purchase? He goes, I hired a consultant to help me spend money. And he goes, uh, you know, I had learned over 25 years how to make money. It took me a long time to learn how to make money. And I was just very honest with myself that I have no idea how to spend money. And uh, I could shorten that learning curve if I get a coach to help me spend money. What was this coach called? A wife? Ah, <laughs> I'll be here all night. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that like Ramit's thing too? I feel like he talks about that all the time, right? Like you got to learn to spend. It's like it takes reps. What was the coach actually called? I, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know his actual job title, but you know, a, a spending consultant, let's call it. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but what do they like teach you how to do? I think it's, I don't know. I mean, he didn't go into details on exactly what the guy said, but let's just, pretend for a minute that he did, I would imagine he does two things. One is um, figures out where your psychology screwed up about money because everybody's got like this. It's like, you know, people have like body dysmorphia. I think everybody has bank account dysmorphia too. Like, uh, you know, you think you need more money than you need. You, even when you have money, you still act like you don't have money. And like, you, it's like all this like weird stuff. It's like, dude, you're fit now. Why do you still think you're fat? Like, you know, you have to sort of like retrain yourself to see something different in the mirror. I think that's part of it. Like just, just talking to figure out what are the ways your, your brain is a little screwed up about money. Let's identify that first. Some people spend too much. Some people don't spend at all. And then I think the second thing would be like, all right, what do you really want? So, uh, let's try to outline your like dream lifestyle or your, your you know, the things you really want, identify those. And then let's calculate like, okay, how much those costs? Could you afford those now? Uh, could you af afford a, a step in that direction? And like giving you the encouragement to pull the trigger on the things that you actually want or setting certain rules. Like you have to spend this much per month. What are you going to spend it on? And like also on the protect your downsides, it's like, hey, we're going to set aside this amount of money so that your like safety reflex is satisfied. Like we agree that logic, by all logic, this amount of money being here untouched means you're safe. Okay, cool. So now we can talk about this other spending part without triggering your like fight or flight mode around your your fear of, of financial safety. I, I should. What be was this? Where, where was this article? What? Yeah, I want to look this up. I, I need one of these things. Uh, yeah, you should look it up. I don't know. I don't know if this exists. Maybe it's like, a job of the future. I don't know if uh, <laughs> his recent episodes are the same, but Ramit's early podcast episodes would do this, they right? They talk yeah. to like m millionaires who are fretting about $8 blueberries at Whole Foods or like I remember one episode where this guy was like, I think I had at least $10 million and was picking up like a stroller on the side of the road. Um, things like that, where it's like clearly like, yeah, you haven't upgraded your thinking or your mindset to where you are. Dude, I just made $400 selling used gym equipment. 
from uh, from like Stoked. from some stuff I'm not using, and I'm like, this is sick. this is my best day ever. Four hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, this is like the best, best day this is ever. My best day ever. <laughs> like it's like I feel more happy about that four hundred dollars than I do making much larger sums. Yeah. Uh, and, and the best part is that I paid three hundred dollars for it five years ago. Now I got four hundred dollars, and it's like the best high. I ever. read this thing that was like. Um, this guy Timer, who created, he's got this company called Causal, and uh, it's like this Excel competitor. But he, he has this blog post I really liked, where he was like, he was trying to figure out in a nerdy way how to decide if he should buy something or not. And so he's like, um, he's like, well, I break everything down into kind of like I don't remember the, the the exact message, but it was something like this. It was like the frequency of like how frequently am I going to get the benefit of this? And then like, what's the like magnitude of the benefit? And so he's like something that's, it doesn't have to be a big shift, but if it's going to happen all the time or like 10 times a day or something like that, like, you know, let, like I bought a phone case that just feels better in my hand. And it was like a great purchase because like the hand feel of my phone is something I'm, I'm touching my phone all the time and just making that feel a little smoother, a little better. was like, dude, what, what's that case called? By the way, I'm looking very good. Uh, let me hand feel so it's um oh wait do we know how much it costs yeah is it gonna be free plug for you guys moaz i think is the name of it but it's got this like this is not like plastic feel so this feel right here is like uh it's almost like the feel of a basketball it's like a a, almost Mm. like a like a like a traction kind of like feel Mm. because i was like i hate the plastic feel of cases um like I, just, I think that feels cheap and uh and, and I, I don't enjoy it i didn't want the leather ones either so i was like what else is there and found that and so he he identifies like if you're going to do it if it's going to be frequent then the magnitude needs to be less if it's going to be infrequent then the magnitude of the joy it brings is going to need to be high and you can kind of multiply those two together to figure out like the value of that item and then you sort of say okay that's the value to me and then what's the price to me and you sort of use that to figure out you know, where should you, where should you spend versus not? And what people mostly get wrong in that is they undercount frequency. So like uh, a better pillow or something like that is great because you're going to sleep on it every single night versus yeah. a nice bag, a Louis Vuitton bag that's going to sit in your closet. Like my wife's bought a Louis Vuitton bag and she literally never takes it out. because She doesn't want it to get messed up. It's like, wow, that's the, you know, most expensive, you know, $6,000 thing that just sits in a closet for no reason <laughs> um, versus things that you get joy out of all the time. And so I, I bet if you guys looked at like what's the best purchase you made or you're 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 most satisfied with this year, it's probably something that you interact with somewhat frequently, or it was like a one-off life-changing experience that was just like crazy magnitude. Right. Yeah. What was that article called? I want to I want to read. Uh, that. Let me. I need, some, I need some good money therapy in my life. Money therapist. That's the title. Yeah. Yeah. I need some good money therapy. Yeah. Send me that article. But Steph, um, appreciate you doing this. You're always coming with fire. You're you're a Twitter you're a Twitter person still, right? I'm Steph a Twitter Smith. person. Steph Smith IO is the handle. And if you want to support my day job, go listen to the A16Z podcast. We're doing some cool stuff there. That's just what it's called, A16Z podcast, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Steph. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off On the road, let's travel, never looking back